We're in a conversation during this Christmas season that we're kind of excited about, simply entitled, Do You Hear What I Hear? Do you hear what I'm hearing? The reason we're asking the question is this, because all of us in this room have in our lives a predominant noise. Like there's a noise, there's something going on in all of our lives, there's something that is the predominant noise in our life, and we said it this way, that when the holidays come, it seems to amplify whatever that noise is. So, so every last one of us, almost like our, our brain is a, a kind of connected to a radio station, and whatever that noise is seems to get amplified around the holidays. This is what we said last week, if you weren't here, that for some of us, that noise is connected to our past. And so for some of us in the room, our past is like a shadow we can't get rid of, right? We've got guilt and regret and all those things, and we can't seem to walk away from it. And so there's this noise, this predominant noise. We call it the ghost of Christmas past, right? And around Christmas time, it kind of amplifies that noise. Like, I can't believe I made these decisions. I regret that I did this, took that path, whatever it might be. Others of you, the predominant noise in your life has everything to do with right now, the present. And so you're standing at the base of a mountain you didn't think you would have to climb. You're standing at a door you don't want to go through, but you have to go through. And it's a present challenge that is predominating your life right now. It is, it is something that has created a noise in you. It's all you can think about. And the holidays amplify it. They heighten it. And for most of us, maybe all of us, I don't know, there's this noise of the future. Like what's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to our country? What in the world is going to happen to our world? And so this noise kind of becomes amplified. Here's what we said for our Christmas conversation. God, ready? God wants to cut through the noise of your life and my life. That's what we said. Like, like the Christmas story, God wants to say five potent, powerful, I would even say life-changing things in and through the Christmas story. And all we're doing each week is unwrapping one of those at a time. So last week, we said one of those things that God wants to say, if you weren't here, it's by way of review, God wants to say, I will keep my promises. I always keep my promises. I am faithful to my word. God says through the Christmas story, I am good for my word. I keep my promises. I always, 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 always do what I say. I heard from so many of you this last week, more than I imagined, right? Because many of you, if you weren't here last week, you need to go check it out. Many of you, the only God that you know, only God you were ever taught is the God of the no, right? And so last week we said that God is a God of the yes, right? That in Christ, all of his promises are yes. So everything that he's promised in Christ because of Christ, because of Christmas is yes. And he is faithful to his word. If you weren't here last week, I want to strongly encourage you to go check out what we talked about. Because some of you, even this morning, all you know is the God of thou shalt not, don't do this, don't do that. And that's the only God you ever taught. And yet the Bible is full of God saying yes, Yes to you, and there's so many promises that he says yes in Christ to. That's the story of Christmas. This morning, I want to flesh out something that, listen, I want you to look here a second. I know some of you in the room need to hear. Now you're saying, Dan, that's kind of confident. Yeah, I know some of your stories. Like I've talked to some of you even this last week sitting here now, and I know some of your stories, and I'm confident that what I want to share with you today, some of you need to hear right now. Everybody listen, and some of you will need to hear someday. So you might as well listen today because someday this is going to really matter to you. What God wants to say, he wants to cut through the noise of your life. And here's what, it's, what he wants to say this Christmas. He wants to say there is hope. There is hope. Now, in particular, that sounds generic, but I think what God wants to say is there's hope in my silence. Ready? And there's hope in my waiting. I'm going to say it again. There's hope in my silence 
and there's hope in my waiting. When you think about it, Christmas, particularly through the eyes of a child, right, is a time of excruciating waiting. Anybody ever experienced that? Like, like I love, who loves Christmas in here? Just raise your hand. I loved it as a kid. I love it as an adult, man. So I love Christmas. I still got a big kid inside of me. But when I was a kid, it was like Christmas couldn't get here quick enough. Like, like you, you couldn't wait. The moment the calendar de- turned to December, you couldn't wait for December 25th to show up. And so the wait would be excruciating. It's like, how much longer? How many more days? It's like time stopped, right? What made the wait, stay with me on this, what made the wait even more excruciating as a kid, okay, stay with me, is that it felt like everybody around me, particularly the adults that mattered, it felt like all those people around me didn't care and they weren't as focused on Christmas coming as much as I was. And so they wouldn't talk about it. It didn't seem like they were paying attention to it. Their life went on as normal. And I couldn't, my parents were great at keeping secrets, right? And so I'm thinking, man, are you guys getting any presents for me? Are we doing anything for Christmas? But I could not see anything going on. So I'm waiting for Christmas to come and nobody's saying anything about Christmas. It made the wait excruciating. Why do I tell you that? Listen close. There's nothing that will rattle hope in your life quite like waiting and silence. And every last one of us in this room needs hope to live. We are a country that is desperate for hope. We're thirsty for hope. We, we live in a world that is, that is starving for hope. In our country, some of our, some of our leaders, our well-known leaders who became presidents, ran on a platform of hope. Their whole platform was hope. Some of you are old enough to remember some of these people, and some of you don't remember. But President Bill Clinton, 1992, he ran on this platform, I still believe in a place called hope. What's interesting is George Bush the Younger, his father died this past weekend, George Bush the Younger, he ran on this platform, I want a safer and more hopeful America. And then in 2008, President Barack Obama ran on this platform, the platform of hope and change. And what's interesting is we have leaders that have run on the platform of hope, and no matter where you fall politically, you know this simply from watching current events unfold on the screen that we still live in a country that's thirsty for hope, starving for hope, in a world that can't seem to get its arms around hope. And then add to that, we not only live in a place where there's this national desire for hope, can't seem to get it like a mirage in the distance, but many of us, maybe you, maybe you, are dealing with our own personal disappointment and we can't seem to personally in our lives get our hands around hope. And it's it's as though we're, we're in the middle of this desert of our own personal disappointment and all that we receive in response is this proverbial silence. Listen, nothing, we're just gonna get real today, nothing will rattle your hope quite like when God seems silent quiet and disinterested. Nothing rattles hope quite like having to wait, wondering if God's doing anything, quite like wanting to hear from God and being met with this deafening silence. And when God goes silent, the wait is excruciating. When God goes silent in our lives, like I can't hear what he's saying. I wish he would show up. I wish he would tell me. When he goes silent, the wait seems to be excruciating. And here's what happens. It begins 
it begins to generate questions. For the follower of Christ, when God goes silent, the weight is excruciating. The questions go like this. Why in the world do I keep following Jesus, praying, worshiping, obeying, and trusting? How can I keep moving forward when God seems so quiet in my life? And some of you in this room, that's your story. And here's the good news. Christmas is the story for you. Because Christmas is all about finding, embracing, and walking in hope, right? It's all about finding, embracing, and walking in hope when God seems silent. You see, here's the deal. If you come to one of our, I don't know if I said this or not, seven identical Christmas services. I don't know if I said that or not, but just in case I didn't. But if you come to one of those... Each year, we end pretty much the same way. The services uh, are different from year to year, but we end pretty much the same way because we kind of like it. It's kind of a good way to end. We end by lighting candles and we sing a song together. If you've ever been here, it's the song Silent. You've been here. And every year, we end with Silent Night. And what's interesting about the first Christmas is the first Christmas didn't happen simply on a silent night, but the first Christmas, everybody listen close. I want you to get this happened after 400 years of silent nights. 400 years of waiting, this excruciating silence. And as God's people continue to trust and worship and lean into and, and follow and, and, and try, to, try, try to follow what it was that they felt God wanted to do, they were met with this excruciating silence. And it felt like this silence as they waited for the promised Messiah grew more excruciating with every silent night. And it was as if the, God stopped talking. It was as if God stopped acting. It was as if, stay with me, you might feel this way. It was as if maybe God stopped caring. You see, if you look at the very last book of your Bible in the Old Testament, it's the book of Malachi. First part of your Bible is the Old Testament. The last book is called Malachi. And if you took that page and you simply held it up, and then you held up the first page of the second part of your Bible called the New Testament, that literally the time period between the last page of the Old Testament and the first page of the New Testament is 400 years. 400 years of silence. 400 years where it feels like God goes silent. Guys, let me give you context because some of you are looking at me. That's longer than our country's been around. That's longer than we have been around as a country. God goes silent. No prophets, no apparent activity. And the wonder of whether he's really going to keep his promises seems to get more excruciating with every silent night that comes and goes. And Here's what I know. Some of you are there today. God feels silent and the weight is excruciating. And that's why Christmas and the idea of somehow embracing hope at Christmas is important for us to hear today. You see, the story in Luke 1 is all about embracing hope in the middle of silence and waiting. And it's a story, quite frankly, you don't hear much at Christmas, but it's important for us to hear because it's all about Christmas. In Luke 1, it begins this way, in the time of Herod, king of Judea. Look here a second, because some of you have read the Christmas story too often, too many times. It's too familiar. And so when you read that, you're like, oh, that's just part of the Christmas story. And yet, if you're a first century Jew, you read that and you're like, oh my goodness, I remember that time. 
Because what that line simply conveys to me, to you, to first century Jew is this, is that this story that we're going to read today is written in the middle of a time of national despair. That God's people were literally like a geopolitical football to the world powers. And now, all of a sudden, the cruel Roman Empire is in charge and they put over the region of Judea a man named Herod who was insecure, skittish, and cruel. And so in the middle of a dark moment in their history, God's going to tell us a story. And this story involves two people. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Look here a second. We have a priest, a guy carrying out priestly duties. He's the spiritual leader, and his wife is a preacher's kid. That's the way you need to read that, right? She grew up in the line of Aaron, right? And so what we have is two people. One, he is a priest. He's serving God. He's, he's leading the people. And here's what it says about them. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Don't miss this. In the middle of national despair, in the middle of a time when all hope seemed to be gone, in the middle of a time when others turned their back, it says that Zechariah and Elizabeth continued to follow, trust, worship. They continued to trust what God said. Everybody look here. It leads to a question. It leads to a question. Or at least it leads to a question for me. The question I would have is, how's that working for you? Because what verse 7 says is interesting to me. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. You're saying, Dan, what's the point? The point is this, is here we have Zechariah and Elizabeth following, trusting, worshiping in the middle of national despair, but they weren't just in the middle of national despair. They were walking through their own personal disillusionment, their own personal disappointment, their own personal desert. They couldn't have kids. It would have been a social stigma in their days to not have children. And always, always, always the lady was to blame in their culture. And in the middle of their own personal desert and disappointment, in the middle of national disillusionment, disenfranchisement, they were waiting, waiting for God to speak up, to show up. Silence. Question for you is this. You ever felt that way? You ever look around you and say, man, everything seems to be going crazy and everybody seems and it feels like everybody's desperate for hope. And in the meantime, I've got my own personal disappointment. I feel like I'm walking through a desert and I'm looking for hope and everything that I try seems like a mirage because when I get there, it's not really the thing that satisfies my thirst for hope. That's the story in Luke 1. Let these people be real. Read the Bible with skin on it. Read it in color. And it begs the question, okay, Dan, then what's the secret to hanging on to hope when God seems silent? Here's the secret. I want you to write it down. The secret is I must, God's silence must never be confused with his absence. God's silence must never be confused with his absence. You're saying, Dan, where are you getting that? What's the rest of the story? Because sometimes when God seems so quiet, so silent, we assume that he's absent. Maybe even he's disinterested. 
And the rest of the story kind of helps me understand some things. So the story goes like this. Once when Zachariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot. This would have been a big deal, right? So they would have cast lots and he was given this lot. And according to the custom of the priesthood, he was given the lot to go in to the temple of the Lord and burn incense. This was a huge deal, high honor, right? He's going to go into the Holy of Holies. He's going to burn incense. So when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. He's going to go in by himself. Then read this next part. Some of you have read the Bible too much. You're too familiar with it. You stopped reading it real. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. Read the next line. When Zachariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. You know why he was startled and gripped with fear? Because when you see an angel, you're afraid. Amen? I talk to people all the time and say, hey, Pastor Dan, I had this great experience this week. I'm, What's that? I think I saw an angel. Yeah, like I was driving down. I like showed up in my car. I'm like, really? Tell me about it. Like, oh, I'm just chilling, man. Like having ice cream together, whatever. Like, you didn't see no angel. Every time I read about this in the Bible, when the angel shows up, the person he shows up to, they're afraid. They're startled. Wouldn't you be? The dude's in there alone all of a sudden, right beside the altar. There's an angel. I can relate to this. I, I can relate to this because I get here early on Sunday mornings. I get here about 4.30. I love this place. I love this place when it's full, y'all. I absolutely love it, man. It's like awesome. It's, 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 it's teeming with activity, and I love the noise. 4.30, ain't nobody here. This place is spooky. Can I get somebody to agree with that? It's spooky in here, man. I mean, I come walking in, sunset the alarm. I'm like looking around. I'm going to just tell you guys something just in case it crosses your mind, Aiden. I'm going to tell you something. If you're ever in here at 4.30 on a Sunday morning, I don't know you're in here, and you're hiding in a dark place in this, in this building, and you pop out at me, and I don't know you're, I'm going to hurt you. I'm just going to tell you I'm going to hurt you. Right? Like, he's going in there. He's not expecting to see no angel. Angel shows up. He's got something he's got to say to Zachariah. Story goes on. Angel says to him, what? Don't be afraid. Easy for an angel to say, right? Don't be afraid. Why? Listen, this is so key. Some of you need to hear this today. This is why you came. Your prayer has been heard. Zachariah had been praying, and angel says, listen, you might think God's not listening, but he's been listening. He hears you. Isn't it true that when God seems silent and inactive, he can appear disinterested? He can appear preoccupied, and it can feel like he's not listening anymore. I imagine to myself, how many times did Zechariah and Elizabeth just pray to God? Do you see what's happening to our nation, God? Do you see what's happening in our lives, the disappointment? We just want to hold this little one. And sometimes when we pray, And God seems silent. I don't know if you've ever faced this, but it can feel like our prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. Anybody with me on that? And many times we begin to think he ain't listening. And if he ain't listening, then I ain't talking anymore. And we make a mistake. We don't do it on purpose, but we make a mistake. And the mistake that we make is this, is that we confuse. Listen close. You need to hear this. We make the mistake of confusing listening with responding the way we want him to on the timeline we want him to. We make the mistake, we say, hey, listening is responding when we want you to and how we want you to. And when God seems silent, we assume he's not listening. God tells Zechariah through the angel and subsequently you and I through the Christmas story, there's hope. You know why there's hope? I want you to write this down because God 
is still listening to me. And when he's silent, he's not absent. And when he's silent and not absent, that's when I need to run into his presence. That's when I need to trust his presence. Listen to me, I want to tell you something. The Bible is full of people. Full of people who prayed and were met with the silence of God. I love how real the Bible is. Check me on this. Don't take my word for it. Job, in the middle of catastrophe and devastation, he's crying out and he's met with this divine silence. Abraham's given this promise. I'm going to do this and that. And he's met with this divine silence. Joseph, at the age of 17, book of Genesis, 17, he's in this this situation that he never dreamed he would have to encounter. He literally finds himself in a foreign country in jail. And he's wondering why and what's going to happen and how's all this going to work out and I don't know. And it's not for 13 years, 13 years. Let these people be real. Sometimes we read the Bible like a fairy tale, like they knew how it was going to end. We read it like, oh, well, he was 17, and then boom, he opened up his eyes, and he was 30. No, for 13 excruciating, silent, quiet, agonizing years, and it's like, oh, wow. Mary and Martha, you ever heard those names? Best friends with Jesus. And they had a brother, best friends with Jesus, and their brother gets sick. You know what they do? They do what I would do. They do what you would do. They call Jesus. Like, hey, Jesus, best friend Lazarus, he's sick. Silence. That's what I love about the Bible. It is so real and it's so raw. A guy named John Calvin, some of you may have heard the name. He says something that's interesting to me. He said, God grants our prayer even if he does not always respond to the exact form of our request. Even when he does not comply with our wishes, he is still attentive and kindly to our prayers. Listen close. So that hope, relying upon his word, will never disappoint us. One of my favorite authors says something that I want you to lean into. I know how it is when I read a quote from somebody else. It's like it's easy to go, wah, 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 don't on this one. If ever there's a quote I'm going to read, don't on this one. He says this about prayer. God will either give us what we ask or will give us what we would have asked for if we knew everything he does. This means, he says, there's a safety catch on prayer. God won't give us things we may ask for in our limited knowledge that wouldn't be the best. And then he says, without this safety catch, thoughtful people would never pray again. We need to know that God will answer the basic desire, but find a form and mode that isn't harmful. Listen, here's what I want to say. God's silence, listen close, some of you need to hear this, is not divine deafness. It's not divine deafness. And when God is silent, he's not absent, and that's the moment I need to run into his presence. You know why? Because he's listening. It is that very truth. It is that very truth that impacted my life in a way that it impacts it till this day. I'm done preaching. I just want to talk to you. I'm done preaching. Because when I was walking through the darkest moment of my ministry... I went to a guy who talked to me and he challenged me. He said, Dan, you think God's not listening? And I was pretty sure God had stopped listening. He had closed the door. It was at that moment that this guy began to encourage me to do something that I have done to this day in this bag, our notebooks of all different sizes and shapes, 
I have another bag full of these same notebooks. They're full. They're full of my conversations with God. My wife and I have an agreement. If I die before she does, she burns them because everybody's going to think I'm crazy if they read them. Because you know something? I'm extremely honest with God. And I began this practice in the darkest moment of my personal adult life. It led me to go back and read book one. And I read this with discernment because not all of what's in here is meant for you and none of what's in there is meant for you, but I want to help. I began writing my prayers to God October 15th. God, I am stressed out and burned out. God, I need you to heal my heart. I am totally dead inside. Oh, and by the way, ironically, quote unquote, this weekend one of my football players died in a car crash. I have the funeral. How in the world will I ever minister to this family in my emptiness? God, I've lost my joy, my vision. I've lost my way. I'm tired. I'm hurt. I'm lost, and I'm anxious about the future. I'm not sure how to find my way back. Two days later, God, in a few hours, I'll be doing Ryan's funeral. You're going to have to help me. I know you recorded my life in a book, so to speak, but God, somehow I think I got lost in the story. I don't know how to find my way back. Five days later, God, how does the fact that life is a temporary assignment affect this hard time I'm going through? Sometimes I feel like I live life like it's a temporary assignment. And all that happens to me is I get run over or walked on by people who don't. Do I have to wait for the next life, God, to receive vindication? For the evil motives of people to be exposed? Life seems really hard to navigate right now. I honestly, honestly do not feel like anyone cares that I'm dying inside. Six days later... Yesterday was the worst day yet so far for me. And I read that and I'm like, wow, it got worse? Depressed, irritated, agitated. Sometimes I'm not sure it'll ease up ever or ever get better. I know friendship with you is the goal, but God, you feel so far away right now. Are you even listening to me? Here's the point. It's not even a preaching point. I have the opportunity to talk to some of you in my office as we interact in the hallway, and some of you are in a dark moment. You're in a dark moment. God feels silent, and you're pretty sure that he stopped listening, and the story of Christmas tells me, no, 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 no. Now when he is silent, he's not absent, and now is the time to run into his presence. Well, what if I don't feel all good and warm and fuzzy on the inside? I will tell you this, he still longs for you as a father to run into his presence. You see, I think what the angel said to Zachariah, I said, hey, God's still listening. My prayers are like they're bouncing off the ceiling. I'm still listening. I'm still listening. And what God, as our father, wants more than anything is to hear from us. 
I'm a father. I'm a sinful, wicked, evil father. And I have a, so in my sinfulness, I have three kids. And what I long for as they were growing up is that they would talk to me. Even if what they said was whacked out, even if what they said was wrong, I wanted to hear from them. The minute they went silent on me, I worry about it. We have a father who is holy and just and righteous. And you know something? He wants to hear from us. He's listening. But it feels like he's listening. That's the hope of Christmas. The story doesn't stop there. It says, and you say, your wife Elizabeth's going to bear a son, and you're to call him John, and he'll be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he'll be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. And then it says something very important. He'll bring back many of the people of Israel. Now listen, in this time period, a lot of people had just abandoned God. They're like, I'm giving up on God, no more God. And he says, this son, Zachariah, that you're going to have, is going to have a special part to play. And he'll go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents of their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, John the Baptist, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Everybody look here a second. What is the angel trying to tell him? He's trying to say, hey, listen. I want to tell you something. You're going, to have a, you're going to have a kid. It's like you're old now. You're going to have a kid, and it's going to be a special kid, and this kid's going to play a special part on a stage that I've been setting for the last several hundred years. It's so important that you hear what I'm getting ready to say. That God says your kid's going to play a special part because you don't think I've been working, but I've been working, and the stage is set. Let me give you an illustration. How many of, of you in the room have ever been to a play a live play. Raise your hand. I want to see what I'm talking. I went. I lived in the mountains, man. I didn't go to a play till I was an adult, right? My wife wants to culture me. She takes me to a play, and uh, so we we go to a play. I remember the first play we went to, right? I remember where it was at, and I'd never really been to anything quite like this play. And so you go, and there's like these guys are really good or whatever. But I remember sitting there waiting the anticipation, and and uh, all of a sudden, it, where we went, there was this huge curtain, and so all of a sudden, when it's time to start, the the curtain opens. It's like. You know, and like everything's happening, the hills are alive, or whatever was going on, right? And they're singing and they're dancing, and I won't do that again, I promise. But they're, they're having they're all this incredible stuff, and it's like, wow, this is kind of cool. And so I'm sitting there, and it's, I don't know how long it went like 20, 25 minutes, a half hour, whatever. And uh, all of a sudden, they got done doing what they're doing. And I remember, because I had not been to one quite like this, that all of a sudden they came to the end and the curtain closed. And I remember I started to get up, and I'm like, wow, that was good. You know, I'm not quite sure I got it all, but like, should I sit back down? She said, it ain't over. I'm like, the curtain closed. She said, it's not over. I'm like, there's this weird silence. Nobody's doing anything on stage. She said, sit down. And I did what I always do. I listened, right? And after weird silence, the curtain opened back up. And they had totally rearranged the stage, and it was ready for act two. Listen close to what I want to tell you. When you read the last words in Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, the curtain closes on the stage of what God is doing. But don't you think for one minute, don't be fooled into thinking that God is not doing anything. Because the 400 years between Malachi and that first Christmas, from the seat of human perspective, appears as though God's doing nothing, but when with the help of history, we peek behind the curtain, we can see that God is active setting the stage for Jesus to come. In fact, in case you don't believe me, and you should never just take me at my word, you should check me. Let me give you a 30,000 foot view. 
You ought to write some of this down. It's interesting to me. 445 B.C. Those of you who like history, write this down. The curtain closes. When the curtain closes, God's people, the Jewish people, are back. The wall has been built. The temple has been built. It's like they had just gone through this incredible captivity, and now Ezra and Nehemiah and all this kind of stuff's happening if you read Old Testament history. But if you read about God's people, the Jewish people, they become this geopolitical football in the hands of, of world powers. And all of a sudden, a little over 100 years later, there's a guy named Alexander the Great around 331 B.C. You're like, oh, yeah, I kind of remember him in history. It's interesting, right? Because Alexander the Great, this is fascinating stuff, at the age of 24, at the age of 24, his desire was to somehow take the person that he had learned from, Aristotle, who taught that power is found in unity. And what Alexander the Great wanted to do was to somehow overthrow the Persian Empire, take over and introduce this unified language, this unified culture, and this unified economy, and he did it. And he did it. And all of a sudden, people could talk to each other, do transactions together. All of a sudden, there was this culture that made it easier to relate to each other. Alexander the Great died at 33 years of age. His dynasty was split into four different ways. And it was during this period, which begins around 323 BC, that is some of the darkest moments in Jewish history some extremely dark moments that had glimmers of light. One of those glimmers of light was during this time. During this time, they took the Hebrew Old Testament, written in Hebrew, and they began translating it into this language Alexander the Great introduced. They began translating it into Greek. It's something called the Septuagint. You can forget that, but that's what it's called. And all of a sudden, they took this, I can't read this, and they began to translate the Old Testament into something people could read. It was during this time that one of the darkest moments came at the hands of a ruler whose name was Antiochus Epiphanes. And this ruler went into the Jewish temple and in the Holy of Holies on the altar sacrificed none other than a pig just to spite the Jewish people. That began to incite in the Jewish people this zealousness particularly in one man who led guerrilla warfare and a revolt among the Jewish people. His name happened to be Judas Maccabees, the hammer. And Judas Maccabees began to lead this revolt among the Jewish people to all of a sudden begin to break free from this captivity. It's where we get the celebration of Hanukkah because they believed that God miraculously gave them light beyond the one-day supply they had and began to supply light for several days for them. And in the middle of this time, the zealousness of Judas Maccabees began to catch, and we begin to see the uprising of groups called the Pharisees, the Sadducees, people worshiping in synagogues, things you don't see in the Old Testament showing up in the New Testament. And God's people for almost 100 years, begin to enjoy this time of independence until 63 B.C., 63 years before that first Christmas. And all of a sudden, there was a Roman general. His name was Pompey. And he comes riding into Jerusalem, and all of a sudden, God's people find themselves captive to a cruel, cruel empire called the Roman Empire. 
And they weren't simply a cruel people, but they were an ingenious people because they not only were cruel to the people they ruled, but they were ingenious in that they introduced these road systems so that all of a sudden people could get to where they're going much more conveniently and much faster. Which leads me to say this. All of a sudden, lesson close, not just a history lesson. All of a sudden, when God decides to draw the curtain back open that first Christmas, the stage has been reset. All of a sudden, when the curtain is drawn back open, it's under the watchful eye of the skittish, insecure king named Herod. It's born into a world with a unified language, a translation of the Old Testament now that everybody can read, and now there are roads that are accessible to most where the message of Jesus can get further faster. God never stopped working. He was resetting the world stage for the arrival of his son, Jesus. From the seat of human perspective, it looked like the play had stopped and the story of God was over, and yet it was just intermission. Listen, 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 we've got to go here. When God seems silent, I dare not confuse it with his absence, and I dare not confuse it with him not being active. There is hope, even in the silence, even in the waiting, because I can be sure God is still working for me. God is still working for me. I know in this room, because I know some of your stories, some of you feel like the curtain has dropped. I've already preached this twice. I talked to a gal after one of the services. She said the curtain has dropped, and it feels like it's sewn shut. It's going through a hard time. And some of you in this room, you feel like the curtain is shut and you feel like, oh my goodness, it feels like God's so quiet, God's done. And here's the deal, I want you to listen to me. You are tempted to get up and walk out on God. You're tempted, you're like, it's over, the curtain is shut, God's not doing anything, I haven't heard from him, nothing's happening, I don't know, what if? And you're tempted to walk out. And if you walk out, listen to me you might miss the most incredible ending, one beyond your imagination. Because the story of Christmas tells me this, that we keep obeying, we keep following, ready for the moment the curtain might be pulled. He's working, he's doing something, he's setting the stage, even if I can't see it. Which leads to the rest of the story. Zachariah asked a question, how can I be sure of this? And then this is a different sermon, but a lesson for all of us husbands in the room. He was diplomatic. He said to the angel, I'm an old man and my wife is mature, right? She's well along in years. That's a good lesson, right? The angel said, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. And I've been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you'll be silent. Not able to speak until the day this happens. Why? You did not believe my words, which will come true. It's interesting, isn't it? Angel says, my God's words will come true. And we don't need to linger here, but therein lies the secret to hope in the middle of silence. That Christmas somehow echoes for me that God keeps his word to me. He says, I'm faithful to my word. I always keep my promises. When God is silent, I can begin to doubt him. I begin to doubt what he's doing. And here's the secret. I want you, what I'm getting ready to say is so important for some of you to hear in this room. 
when I can't hear what he's saying right now, I don't know what he's doing in my life, I can't hear what he's saying, that is the moment that I need to lean into what he said. I need to know what he said. It's like, I don't know what he's saying. I don't know what he wants me to do. That's when I need to lean into what he said. You're saying, Dan, that seems like a preacher way to say we ought to read our Bible. Listen, no, 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 no. Romans 15. Such things were written in scriptures long ago. And the scriptures teach us and the scriptures give us, what's that word? Hope and encouragement as we what? Wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. See, here's the deal. I need to hear what he said when I can't hear what he's saying. You see, the same guy that when I was going through my darkest moment started me on another, another exercise that I do almost every day. I'm not saying you got to do this. I'm not saying this is what I do. I get up early in the morning, doesn't matter when. I get up early in the morning, and the first person I want to hear from is God. And I open up his word, and I'm going to tell you, you expect some preacher talk here, and there are sometimes it's not like, oh, you know, this magical, oh, God spoke to me. It's like I just read. Some days are like, wow. Some days are like, huh. But every day I read. Every day I lean into what he said, and particularly on the days when I'm like, what is he saying? What's he want me to do? I lean into what he said. Because when I lean into what he said, it brings encouragement to me because I realize that as I walk through a time of waiting, a time of darkness, a time of despair, a time of disillusionment, that the very same God, the God of Abraham, the God of Joseph, the God of of Moses is the God I'm talking to and listening to. And the very same God of David, the David who stood in front of that giant when everybody else was afraid, is the very same God that right now I can't hear what he's saying, but that's the God. And the same God of the David who failed him and said, hey, listen, I'm about redeeming and reconciling. That's the same God. And the same God of Peter who denied he knew Jesus is the same Jesus who stood on the shore and said, hey, I'm going to build my church on you. That's the same God. And when I can't hear what he's saying, I need to hear what he said. Because there's a lot he said, and I need to know what he said. And then for me, I'm sure you don't struggle with this. Sometimes it's not just that I don't know what he said that causes the anxiety and fear. Let me do a little commercial here. Just because I told you I'm done preaching, I'm talking. I meet with young leaders all the time, and one of my biggest fears is that we might... We might be in a generation that is very religious and goes to church, but doesn't know what's in this book. And God has spoken. I said last week, he has all these promises that are yes in Jesus. Sometimes I I get overwhelmed with anxiety and fear because I don't even know what he said. But but for me sometimes, and I'm sure you don't struggle with this, but for me... Sometimes it's, it's not that I don't know what he said. It's sometimes, just being honest, I know what he said. I'm, I'm not always sure he can do what he said. It's in those moments that I need to trust that he's able because sometimes I jump the gun and sometimes I put God in a box. I'm sure you never do that. But I put God in this box and say, I don't know, and I better, and I better get control of this because I'm not sure, God, that, mm, you know, let me help you out a little bit. 
And that's what makes the rest of this story interesting to me because Elizabeth, the one we've been looking at, she had a cousin. Did you know that? She had a cousin. And her name happened to be Mary. And the same angel showed up to her and said, you're going to have a kid. And Mary said, how's this going to be? I'm a virgin. Elizabeth's old. She's like, how's this going to be? Mary's young. She's like, what? And he said, Holy Spirit, come on. Your power most high will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who's been able to, unable to conceive is in her sixth month. Here's the key. For no word from God will ever fail. New King James Version, it says it this way. For with God, nothing will be impossible. You see, I know in my own life sometimes, I'm not sure about yours, that sometimes I can know what he said, I'm just not sure he can do what he said. Because sometimes I put God in a container that makes him less than he really is. Somehow the Christmas story helps me because like, God, I want you, Dan, I want you to lean into what I said and then I want you to believe I'm able to do what I say. And there's hope. See, it's important because some of you right now, it's silent and you're waiting and it's excruciating. You're like, I don't know and I can't hear him. And God wants you to hear this this Christmas. I'm listening. I am listening. For some of you, what he wants you to hear is this. I'm working, but I can't see you. I realize the curtain is drawn, but I'm setting the stage. I'm doing a work. And for some of you, you just need to hear God say, I always will keep my word. Lean into what I've said if you can't hear what I'm saying. There's something else important, and I'm going to invite the band to make their way out, and we're going to sing a song, but there's one more thing you can't miss because it's easy to pass over. Like it's easy to read this and just go, whoop, and miss it. Because some of you are struggling in, in the room this morning. I know that. And in the story in Luke 1, here's what it says. He says, my words, which will come true. Do you see those words in yellow? At their appointed time. That helps me because somewhere hope is found in there. In other words, the God who's working behind the scenes, listening to my prayers, the God who will do what he says he'll do. Listen close, church. His timing is always perfect. Come on, let's get real a minute. His timing is always, always perfect. Even if it's not when I would do it. Even if I disagree with it. Even if I question it. Even if it frustrates me. Here's what I can be sure of. That God is sovereign and he always has perfect timing. God's timing is always, always, always perfect. That's the story of Christmas. In fact, in the book of Galatians, it says it this way. But when the right time came, when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law, the song we sang earlier, so that he could adopt us as his very own children. I'd love for you around the room to bow your heads with me. I want to close, and we're going to sing a song. And I'd love you all across the room. I'd love for you just to... Bow your heads. If you want to close your eyes, you can do that. Just get in a space where it's just you because some of you are in that moment of darkness right now. You're in that moment of silence. You're in that moment of waiting. And it's excruciating. Some of you are like, 
Has God stopped working? Does he care? Is he even listening? The story of Christmas helps because there's hope. Some of you are sitting here and you're like, I'm a follower of Christ and I've been worshiping and obeying and it feels like I'm in a personal desert and it feels like everything around me is dark. And his word for you this Christmas is, I'm still listening to you. Don't confuse my silence with my absence. Please run into my presence. Maybe the most practical thing you can do is go buy a composition book this afternoon and start writing and talking and pouring your heart out to God. Some of you are sitting here, you're like, man, the curtain's closed and, and, and I can't see anything. And I'm just about ready to get up and walk out. And he says, don't you dare. No, don't, don't dare do that. I, I'm still working. And, and you might miss an incredible ending. Some of you are like, I can't hear what he's saying. And he says, well, now's the time to lean into what I said. Because I'm the same God. I'm the same exact God. And for some of you in the room, the most practical thing you can do with what we talked about today is to to go home and begin first thing in the morning. Spend the first two minutes, five minutes, ten minutes, whatever, listening to God, what He said. There's some of you in the room and you'd say, I'm not really a follower of Christ. And the story of Christmas is for you because the very thing that steals hope from us is the sin inside of us. Satan's very first temptation was so that we would not see the yes of God and all we would see is the no and that we would miss out on hope. And the story of Christmas is that God says yes to you and hope is found in Jesus. That this baby grew up to die in my place, your place, for our sins. Why? So that we could have hope so that we could have hope not just when we die, but right now that we have a relationship with the God of the universe. And that hope will not disappoint us. God, I am so grateful that in Christ there is hope. I'm so grateful that in Christ there is yes and amen. And I am grateful that you're listening, that you're working, and that you always, always keep your word. 